You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. In the prayer, there is the offering of the blueprint of the way that he should go about doing those things that we're asking him to do. But he circumvents that whole thing. He goes completely another different way. And then we think to ourselves, wow, I never thought of that. And it brings us back to realize who God is, that his ways are not our ways, that his ways are so far above our ways. So I think that's one of the reasons why he works in the lives of his people in a variety of ways. It's fun to watch a child try to outwit an adult. The concentration, trying to think of all the angles, and coming up with an idea there sure will give them success, only to be disappointed as the adult easily counteracts the child's effort. It's not too different from grown-ups trying to make a deal with God to get what they want in return. Pastor Mike will be reminding you in his teaching that God's got all knowledge about you and what you'd like to get. God also knows what's best for you. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 24 as he continues his message, Wooing the Bride. about the gifts and the operation of the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons why is because we have men that attend those meetings who aren't members of our church, where they haven't been instructed and taught on the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the way that they're supposed to be used in a very balanced kind of a way and fashion. So that was one of the reasons why we had this really, I don't want to say heated, but engaging conversations on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So don't misunderstand. I'm not downplaying the importance of who he is in the ministry. and the upper. He's equal with God the Father and God the Son. It actually provides for us the dynamic for Christian living, for being a witness for Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus himself said in some of his last final charges to his disciples, wait in the city of Jerusalem, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endowed with power from on high. You shall receive that power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the result of that would be, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So without the ministry and the operation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then our witness would be weak. Extremely important. So don't misunderstand. But you know these services that are designed to exalt the Holy Spirit, And Christ himself is absent from those kinds of services is absolutely wrong. I'm sorry. I hope I haven't offended anybody. That's all I can say. 
Be really careful about that, okay? Be careful about those sorts of things. Because, remember, once again, let me say it again, the Spirit has come to promote Jesus Christ and not himself. His true work is in exalting him. Now, does that sit well with you guys? Are you okay with that? Everybody's good? All right. If you haven't been around for a while, maybe I've, I've kind of threw you a curve. I know we have a couple of visitors that are here, and maybe you've been taught a little bit differently. And let me say, I could be wrong, okay? I'll take the lower seat here, uh, but I don't think I am. Anyway. <laughs> okay. And so the servant of Abraham is a type of the Holy Spirit. And he has gone back to this far land to get a bride for the son, Isaac, to woo the bride. And listen, we've already discovered this was not an easy task. He's going to ask her to make some real sacrifices. But think about it. In all of this typology, in, in, in this analogy, the Holy Spirit wooing the bride to Christ to become a Christian, uh, yes, for the servant, it wasn't an easy task. It wasn't, an easy, it wasn't going to be an easy task for the, for the girl that he found uh, to respond and go back with him and travel that great distance. I mean, think about all of the things that were involved. All she had was the word of the servant. She hadn't even met the bridegroom before. I mean, how difficult must have that been for her? But think about this, in this type and in this analogy, if Rebecca becomes a type of the church, and that's who we are, we are also called in our Christian experience to make certain sacrifices. There's a cross involved that we must bear. Jesus himself said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, pick up the cross, and follow me. It's not easy. But listen, you know what? If your Christianity hasn't cost you anything, it isn't worth anything. Isn't that true? But there are certain sacrifices that must be made. She's going to have to make a perilous journey some 400 miles across the desert to get to the groom. She would have to go from Babylon to Hebron, 400 miles in all. And all she has is the story of the servant concerning the wealth and the glory of the groom. I mean, it's going to take some faith in him and the story for her to leave her family, the security of her own home, to make that kind of a choice. And so we find the servant bearing witness concerning his master and his master's son. Notice there in verse 35, and he says, he is great. He possesses all wealth. He has acquired many servants. And he has given all things to his son. He has made the son, Isaac, to become heir of all things. Again, I mean, isn't it so obvious? Even as God the Father has given to God the Son and has made him heir of all things. And there is no bride suitable for him in that land. And so I've come here to find a wife. And then we also notice that when after her family consented for Rebekah to become his bride, notice in verse 53, let's jump ahead a little bit in our story, here in chapter 24, then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, 
jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And so I want you to think about this. Gifts, which were only a sign of the things which awaited her, Rebekah, the wealth, the glory, even as when we consent to become the bride of Christ, we begin to receive gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the similarities between the two? What kind of gifts are we talking about? Well, he begins to bestow upon us those heavenly gifts. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love. The power of the Holy Spirit, which is that dynamic for Christian living. Uh, a life that is so rich and so full and so great, it has to be described in superlatives. It's a joy unspeakable. The sense of God's presence now within our life. By the way, all of which is just simply a foretaste of things which are ahead, the things which await us. One day when we actually cross over into eternity and we stand face to face with our Lord, the object of our affection, what a day that's going to be. You know, I think that uh, often and frequently we should contemplate that day. And uh, maybe it'll encourage you as you're going through some hardships now and life's difficulties and and problems in your own experience. And just remember the bright future ahead of us. One day we're going to be gathered together with our Lord in heaven. What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. And in that day, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, there'll be no more weeping and no wanting, and he'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. There'll be no more sickness, no more death. Uh, What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. So the Holy Spirit, working in our hearts as we've given our lives to Christ, as we've received his call and we've come and we've made that decision, today revealing God's love towards us, the blessedness of communion and fellowship with him, that rich experience. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1 and verse 13. In him, that is Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And by the way, that's where it all began, in the hearing of the word of God. God plants that seed through the teaching of the word of God. I can't even emphasize the importance of keeping ourselves in a place where we are continually instructed in the word of God, where we hear the word of God. And uh, it's so very, very important because the Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But this is where it all began. You were in a service like this one. You were invited by a friend. You were driving home in your car, and you happened to turn on the radio and listen to In My Father's House. We have a couple here this morning from New Jersey who listened to us on the radio. We're so thankful for that opportunity to reach out beyond our own four walls and have that platform to share the gospel with people via the radio broadcast In My Father's House. What a blessing that is. It's a privilege, really. But anyway, this is where it all begins. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, or it's like the down payment. It's like the earnest. You know, you buy a piece of property or a piece of land, and you put the down payment. That's the earnest. It shows your 
intention of following through with that commitment that you're making to purchase that parcel of land. Who is the guarantee, in other words, he's giving you the Holy Spirit, again, looking to the future, and all of what the Bible says is true, that we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. The Holy Spirit given to us, the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives, changing us from the inside out. It's the earnest. The Holy Spirit is the earnest, if you will. It shows us God is intended to continue and complete the work that he's begun in each and every one of our lives. The redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so these experiences we have now, and if given an opportunity, if you've been walking with the Lord now for a while, even if it hasn't been all that long, I bet you every one of you could stand to your feet and share your own personal testimony and experience of what God has been doing in your life, right? And he does that in so many different ways, a variety of different ways. And he usually doesn't do it the same way in one person's life the way he does it in another person's life. This reminds me of uh, something that I just wanted to pass along to you. If you can get a copy of G. Campbell Morgan's commentary, it's a book called The Great Physician. You've heard me talk about this book before. It would be a great addition to your library. And you can probably get it online. It's not cheap, though, because the volume is actually hard to come by. I have some of the originals. I've passed them out to our elders. And I know Diane purchased a bunch of them, my wife, or the ladies that are a part of the women's ministry as well. We've given in to some of the doctors that have treated myself, my wife, and my children over the years. But the subject is the way that Jesus treated and dealt with certain individuals, particularly in the way of healing them. And in that book, G. Campbell Morgan just does such a great job. The way that he ministers to one person is not the same way that he ministers to another person. The way that he calls one person, the way he commissions one person, the way that he heals one person is not the way that he does that work in the life of another person. Such a variety of different ways that God works his work. You know, I think... One of the reasons why, this isn't, by the way, in, in any of my notes here, but I thought it, I'd just mention it. I think God goes about doing that, that is, working in one person's life one way and working in another person's life a completely different way, just to show us that he is God, that his ways are not our ways, that his ways are so far above our ways. When we think about God working in our lives, like say, for example, there's something pressing on us, so we appeal to the Lord in prayer, oh God, go before me, work this out, please. This new job or this relationship or someone is sick, God, please heal them. And then in the prayer, there is the offering of the blueprint of the way that he should go about doing those things that we're asking him to do. But he circumvents that whole thing. He goes completely another different way. And then we think to ourselves, wow, I never thought of that. And it brings us back to realize who God is, that his ways are not our ways, that his ways are so far above our ways. So I think that's one of the reasons why he works in the lives of his people in a variety of ways. So anyway, <clears throat> the servant went out, got the gifts, gave the jewels to Rebekah, and also brought in beautiful clothing that the bride might be properly attired for this occasion. Even as the Holy Spirit took from us the filthy rags of our own righteousness, 
and clothe us in fine linen, pure and clean, which in the Bible is referred to as the righteousness of the saints. And so the Holy Spirit clothes us in the righteousness of Christ through faith, that beautiful covering and clothing, whereby God now sees me as righteous, clean, and pure. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. And being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And by the way, this is the only righteousness that God the Father accepts. Everything else is thoroughly rejected, passed over. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Folks, that's the only kind of righteousness that will get the job done. Now, let's look at Rebecca. Let's take a closer look at this woman. And this is the reason why we should take a closer look at this woman, Rebecca, because remember, in this typology, she's a type of the church. So in this, we should learn something about ourselves. So let's go back now to verse 16. And let me read verse 16 once again to you. This is when we were first introduced to her. Now, the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and then came up. Now, the first thing that I want to draw your attention to, as is recorded for us in the text that we just read, notice we are told that she was beautiful. She was beautiful. And the Bible doesn't declare that of many people. But I want you to think about yourselves and your relationship to God. And I want you to think about this. Did you know that Jesus sees you as very beautiful? Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the 45th Psalm in verse 11, there the Bible tells us the King, the Lord, desires our beauty. Now, i got to tell you something, though. As I read this, I find it hard to believe. I look in the mirror, for example. <laughs> but not only the reflection that I see back from the mirror, but there have been times when I feel very ugly because of the things that I have done. And there are times when I feel that ugly that I have a hard time realizing that Jesus sees me as being very beautiful. And there are times where I think to myself, Jesus must be blind. <laughs> but then again, I think, love is blind. You've heard that expression, right? <laughs> in 1 Peter in chapter 4, and, verse, and it's biblical. Because in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, Peter tells us love covers a multitude of sin. And it's true. And so he sees you. He sees me through the eyes of love. It's so deep. It's so great. He doesn't see any of our flaws of personality or character. In fact, I think he's written a song. It goes something like this. Isn't Mike lovely? Isn't he beautiful? Did he write that? Where did I get to? Oh, that was Stevie Wonder. Okay, I'm sorry. But listen, that's absolutely the way that he feels about you, okay? This is why I, you never hear me sing during the worship service, and I sit in the back of the room, because I don't want to run anyone out of the service. But listen, 
God desires your beauty. You're his bride, washed and cleansed, made anew through him. Now, not only was Rebecca very beautiful, but she was also very gracious. Okay, now again, remember, Rebecca is a type of you, a type of me, a type of the church. And one of the other things that marked this woman's life, a virtue, was she was extremely gracious. Okay, think about it. After the servant had made his trek, had come to the city of Nahor, his final destination, at the will, he prayed unto the Lord. Do you remember the prayer that he prayed? We talked about it last time. Let's go back. Let's take a look at it again for the benefit of those who are here for the first time. Verse 12, then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And so he prayed this prayer. And before he finished praying that prayer, notice there as you read on, Rebecca came with a pitcher upon her shoulder She gave drink to the servant and then proclaimed she would draw water for his camels. And and this was no small thing. We are told, notice in verse 10 of chapter 24, that a part of this entourage that followed the servant, there were 10 camels. And it would have at least taken five gallons of water to quench the thirst of each one of those camels. So this woman, Rebecca, had to draw 50 gallons of water from the well. Folks, this is no small thing. Wouldn't you say that's a gracious young lady? Right. (laughs) You see, when he was setting that requirement, he wasn't asking a simple thing. I mean, just ask yourself the question. How many people would have volunteered for that kind of an occupation? But in her doing that, it became a sure sign to Eleazar that this was the one. Now, let me ask you this question. Remember, Rebecca is a type of the church. Rebecca is a type of you and me. Are we as open? Are we as willing to volunteer at the beckoning of the spirit, as was Rebecca at the beckoning of the servant who is a type of the Holy Spirit. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. 
When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and In My Father's House. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.